football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Silver 7, 77 cent beers coming up for Thursday night football. VGK as well, all the hockey games, all VGK games, and NFL games, 77 cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and McUltra. We're hanging out in the Bud Light Lounge. Got the uh, two dog special, 777, for a couple of hot dogs, a big beer, some bags of chips. John Von Tobel's here, Angel's here. It's Cofield. We had uh, listener Mark stop down, brought his wife along. Big fan of the show. Cool. I think I caught him off like 12 times. I was all fired up. Because he started to say, uh, you know, I listen a lot. Thanks for taking me through the afternoons. He just retired. Was an accountant. Just retired. So I was like, you're bored? He's like, nah, it's great. <laughs> great. I feel like I'd get bored. More time to listen to Sports Talk Radio. The craziness that is Sports Talk Radio. Von Tobel, Cofield, football frenzy time. Crunch, crunch. <laughs> Hawaii trip coming up for UNLV football. And for me. John's going to be on the trip. It's a big trip. They are favored to win both games down the stretch here against Nevada and Hawaii. But they started out 4-1. and one. They put themselves in a really prime position to get to six wins, make a bowl game, maybe win seven, eight games. That didn't happen. They got uh, beat pretty handily in three straight games. Doug Brumfield was down for, you know, two and three quarters of those games. He came back. He's been good, not great. The team has been good, not great. Small things here and there led to two close losses. Yeah. So now they're backed into a corner here. They should be able to win these two games, but we know what pressure can do to college football teams. That's what I would say. Like I, I hate to say it, I guess. I would consider this game and the Reno game as must-win games. Given the start that you had of the season and where these two programs are at in Hawaii and Nevada – if you are still and fancy yourself to be that team that started four and one, I don't. I don't think you don't need to go out there and blow them out, yeah. right? But these are games that you must win against programs. I mean, you look at Hawaii like right now. It's not like UNLV is in much better shape. This is a team that is 121st in the country in EPA per play defensively. This you play. What does that mean? How many teams are there? Uh, well, how many teams are in the country? 100. And- <laughs> Whatever. Right. Put it into perspective. Yeah. This is not college basketball where, you know, there's 375 teams. Yeah. You're in the bottom 10% defensively. And the way you, UNLV, played against Fresno State and the fought that you showed in that game, I mean, I mean, heck, I would even say, I know the final result wasn't great, even some of the little scrappiness you showed against Notre Dame at times. Yeah. I like, mean, I, th- I think the most applicable one is San Diego State. San Diego yep. State did nothing on the ground until the final drive. They had 29 yards rushing San Diego State. They're a run team. You know, they don't throw the ball well. They've had their moments with their new quarterback. 29 yards rushing with four minutes left in the game. 56 minutes, 29 yards. They got 70 on the last drive to close out the game against, I think, UNLV at that point was gassed. This Hawaii team, yes, they can throw the ball. Yes, they want to be run and shoot. But they're a much better running team. They just got 240 on the ground against Utah State. To go back to San Diego State, if you noticed, the next week after UNLV played San Diego State, they hung 43. Yep. And like 170 yards rushing on San Jose State, a pretty good defensive team. So UNLV can play some defense, and they run the ball well enough, and they can make enough plays. I think they've gotten conservative with Doug Brumfield. I don't. I, I get the feeling they don't think he's all the way back, and he's made a couple of shaky throws that could have been picks or pick sixes. But there's enough there. You're in year three. Whether you want to call year zero, year zero, you know, the COVID year, you want to throw it out, whatever it is. You're three years in, and you just mentioned it. Hawaii... 
and we'll deal more with Nevada, but they're both first-year coaches. The rosters were decimated because the previous head coach either either left in shame in Todd Graham or left and stole the whole freaking team right. in Jay Norvell. Yeah, this is the narrative for the season. Right. The, the four-and-one start, we understand, like, in, in the micro – you made a lot of progress. Losing close games, three of them, right? Cal, San Diego State, Fresno, that's in the micro. The macro, the overall look, you're 4-1. and one, you got to get to bowl game. Correct. And, and that's the other part, which I'm glad you brought up, which is what I was going to point out is if you're going to be a program that is really growing and taking those steps forward, there's a couple of steps that you need to take, right? I, th- I would say one of them is winning these one-score games, right? That is a very big deal. And you might, by the way, you might run into them here. In this, because you're winless right now. What, 0-9 in one-score games? You need to win those games. And you might run into them here in Look Hawaii, at the last Nevada. couple scores. At Hawaii, yep. Wyoming was a seven-point win. Utah State had a lead, but that turned into a seven-point win. Hawaii is also in a back-to-back situation here at home. That doesn't always happen. So, you know, the, the only folks who are going to kind of suffer from the trip to Hawaii, well, this is always the case when Hawaii is at home, but UNLV is going to have to, that, that's something else they're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But I would like I, – I think it's very – I think it's fair. Given the start of yeah. the season, given where you're at with this program right now, I would say this is unquestionably a must-win and game. And the players should want it. Yep. And uh, they, they always want it, but the players should look at it like, we got to freaking win. And There's no good job, good effort anymore. And there's not there, – usually, too, like the, it is a gift the way this schedule breaks down that you went through this losing streak that you've gone through, and here you are with two wins to get to bowl eligibility, and it is the two worst teams in the conference that are sitting in front of you, that should be motivation enough for you to go out there and get these victories. Like you said, obviously, to use a cliche, it's one week at a time. This weekend, must-win situation for them. You know, this is the first day. It's been a whole you know, two-plus days. This is the first day we're going to reference the CFP, the latest rankings. Really? I completely forgot about it. Tuesday and Wednesday. Doesn't mean I'm not interested. Doesn't mean I don't like college football. But I know you wanted to bring up something that's interesting in all this conversation. Is the Big Ten paying a Michigan tax this year? Like a Michigan penalty? Because Michigan made it to the playoffs last year, didn't perform well. So is the punishment, if you have two of the four best teams, you can't get both of them in. Like, wait, what? What's, What's happened here with... The way people look at the Big Ten, Michigan right now is on the outside looking in if they lose, mm-hmm. right? Even if they, they could lose, whatever, 27-26, somehow they're out. Why? I, I think they're a top-four team. Oh, I think it's because of their strength of schedule. Their, their schedule is one of the – I think it's actually – I was listening – I don't know. I think it was the Cover 3 podcast over on CBS. I think of the top 20 teams, they have the weakest strength of schedule, Michigan. So that, that's what ultimately would hold them back. So, But for me in this scenario, because the question I pose to you, because we keep talking about, like, hey, Tennessee, right? One loss, non-division winner, yeah. non-conference champ. They can still make their way in. They're, they're fifth right now. Their schedule sets up really nice. My question is, what if it's that 27-26 final score for Michigan beating Ohio State and then moving on to win the Big Ten title? Ohio State would be sitting there with one loss, whose only loss is to, you would assume, the second-ranked team in the country in Michigan, maybe third, and has been ranked ahead of Tennessee every step of the way this point, why aren't we talking more about two Big Ten teams making it into the college football playoff and the possibility that that would present itself? You're just jealous of the SEC. I You're mean, anti-SEC. I mean, I'm kidding. Yeah. 
Well, here's the thing. I think Tennessee is really good, and I think Tennessee is better than TCU, but I don't know that Tennessee – it's that weird thing in the SEC where, you know, if, if you lose, you're almost more fortunate to not be in the title game to risk another loss. Mm-hmm. Well, and so there's two things to that. So first off um – you could still get a scenario where it's actually two Big Ten teams with two big uh, two SEC teams, SEC right? Because yeah. TCU could lose this weekend to Baylor. Everything goes out the way we're just talking about, and boom, there's your top four potentially. Because uh, there's no other like one outside of maybe USC is a one loss. Well, I think Pac-12 USC has camp. a chance. If USC wins out, then they they're going to get a look potentially. I mean, I think their strength of schedule stinks. But he, and here's the thing: but but I, but if if USC put up numbers and you know we're talking you know two touchdown wins, yeah, right. Beat UCLA by two touchdowns, win the Pac-12 title game by two touchdowns. They got to be in consideration. Oh yeah, I think there's a chance that they could leap into this if that's going to be the case. I also think USC defensively stinks, and I don't know if they're going to escape unscathed right. through these next few. But weeks. is Tennessee good defensively? Is TCU good defensively? No, I'm just saying in terms of the results, like of their opponents coming up next. Right. I don't think like, oh, okay. yeah, I don't think their evaluation defensively is going to hold them out if they're a conference champ. I think it sets them up for potentially losing in these next few games. Um, but, no, I think you're right. And when you look at it, like, overall, what's really interesting is, like, clearly the Alabama win for Tennessee is not as good as we think it to be or we're being forced to think it to be. And also, I'm sorry, but LSU is not a, one of the ten best teams in the country. They're not. I watched that, them. That whole thing is going to be solved. You know uh, it is. It, well, no, but I'm just saying because it strengthens t- Tennessee's resume. I don't oh, think okay. about LSU as, like, a, what they're doing is they're ranking yeah. LSU high – so that Tennessee now has two top ten wins on its resume so that they can have an argument to get into the playoff. But then I watched LSU fight tooth and nail with Arkansas, who eventually brought in their third-string quarterback and, and failed to cover a three-and-a-half-point spread because they were so disjointed and terrible. In that what, is, uh, what is Georgia beating LSU 56-10 do? Oh, they're still going to – I'm willing that, to bet they're still going to be like fringe top 12 team. No, I mean, what does it do for Tennessee? Right. They wouldn't do anything. They don't care. The committee doesn't care. And that's why, to your point, I think ultimately... I mean, if if Georgia beats LSU 56-10, doesn't that now indicate, all right, the West in general in the SEC just ain't that good? It should. The East is where it's at this year. The West just ain't that good. It should. But it's it's the committee. (laughs) That's why I think you're right in every single week. Like, forgetting about this, they're not really talking about it. Because I love when people say, oh, it'll take care of itself. No, what that means is this committee's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that finally at the end of the week, at the end of, like, all of this, they'll maybe come up with some sort of reasoning for their top four. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that these teams all beat each other. It just means that the committee's just like, hmm, what do we value this week for teams one through four but not five through ten? Coming up next, we bring in National College Football Insider, Michael Felder, he does the Field of 12 podcast, and we'll go back to asking him about USC's place in this whole thing and if they can get into the Final Four. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. All right, back here. Michael Felder, college football expert, is up on Cofield and Company. Let's lead in by talking about some of the big topics this week on Field of 12. And I saw one of the big ones was Georgia. Who can dethrone Georgia? And does anyone match up with Georgia? I think the the interesting part is going to be obviously Ohio State, right? So that's going to be an interesting one. We saw what Michigan could bring to the table against them, and that's – 
doesn't look great. I think TCU is another interesting team because they've got big wide receivers. And I think that's going to be a really fun situation um, if they are to play the dogs, if things hold up, up as they are, as they do now. Um, LSU in the, in the SEC championship game is another very, I'm curious to see what that looks like. I think, I think Georgia is going to take care of business in that game, but I also am curious to see what Brian Kelly's approach is and how much of that approach, whoever Georgia plays in the playoff is going to be able to take away from that USC. Another one, incredibly dangerous. I think you've got to be dangerous on the offensive side of the ball. If you want to try to match up with Georgia, what kind of defense do you have to have uh, to stop Georgia? Cause I know you had questions about Georgia and conservatism last year, but it looks like uh, they've answered a lot of those questions. I, I think that Georgia being willing and wanting to score early and get on top of you early, we saw that in the Tennessee game. That was huge for them. So I, I think what you have to have defensively, and, and that's the big question, right? We saw TCU win a tight game against Texas, so their defense finally stepped up. Ohio State's defense, I think, is the one. That's the one that I've got circled as they can give Georgia some problems because they play a lot of cover zero. They play a lot. They play, you know, they'll play 11 guys within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, which means they can devote as many guys as they want to the run game and still cover things down. I think that's going to be the, the interesting matchup. I think that's probably going to end up being the national championship game uh, if all things hold up. And I, I just think that the question becomes now, not just like, are you covering guys? But now the question becomes, how do you make Stetson Bennett have to make throws to win? And, and guess what? We have Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers makes it a little bit easier because it's going to be really tough to cover those guys with smaller defensive backs. At In the Bleachers on Twitter, that's where Michael Felder is. He's part of the Learfield podcast family as well. Also on Field of 12, your college football podcast, a big network that you guys have. You talked about what USC needs to do to get in. USC can win out and still fall short. So how do the Trojans impress the CFP? How do they pass Tennessee? I think game the, the job one is winning the Pac-12. Winning the Pac-12 with one loss. And so the committee keeps telling us they want to honor – conference champions we want to honor conference champions so we'll get to see if they can put their money where their mouth is uh with that if, if that conference championship is enough to boost usc over that tennessee football team that's going to be interesting but i think the reality of it is is usc is also a brand name uh tennessee's a brand name as well like right now and this is this is this is what i did cofield you go through and you look at this top 10 in the rankings right we've got georgia ohio state michigan tcu tennessee lsu usc alabama clemson in Utah. Two of those teams are not like the others, and that's TCU and it's Utah. The rest of those are all brand names. The rest of those are all teams that, you know, they've got big draws both in person, people going to the stadium, but also big draws on television. So I'm very curious to see what the fate is for a team, whether it's a Utah team that does win the Pac-12 and keeps USC from trying to get into the playoff, or a USC team that might be able to leapfrog Tennessee and then how this all impacts TCU because TCU is a team that's already, they, listen, I talked to Landry Bird Iron last week. Uh, TCU is there. They're on the once bitten twice shy track where they played this part, right? They've been in the top four of the CFP going into the last week of the season. And then and they've been leapfrogged obviously by a brand name, Ohio state. So I think that they are incredibly worried about what happens for them, probably even more so than a team like USC. It's funny, though, you hear from Big 12 fans, and I think it's insecurity speaking. Uh, they talk about how they're better than and bigger than the Pac-12, but you just nailed it. There are bigger brands in the Pac-12 than some of the schools in the Big 12, especially if, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma are gone. Uh, Oregon really screwed things up last week. Um, I thought they would lose two of three down the stretch. I said it on the air. I mentioned it to George Reister, an Oregon guy who played in the NFL, his radio 
for Sirius XM. He sent it out to Oregon fans, and he was like, mark this down. Okay, mark it down, because I still think they can lose these last two games. But in the Washington game, where do they fall short? I mean, Michael Penix was amazing, right? So I, I, I don't know. I fall short. I, I don't think they made a lot of mistakes. They just they, they came up against the buzzsaw, and that's the reality. You watch this team play, and Washington was just – I mean, they, they were doing some interesting things from a formational standpoint. They were moving the ball all, all around. And Oregon kept they Oregon also was able to score. Oregon scored the ball pretty well. But next injury is going to be really interesting because what do they look like in this game against Utah, against a very salty Utah team? And again, I will continue to reiterate a team that is completely embarrassed that they lost to Florida <laughs> because they should be sitting there uh, probably in the top seven, top six if they don't lose that game to the Gators to start the season. But Utah coming Utah Utah coming to town against Oregon. It's a different football game than Washington. Washington is 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 electric. They've been explosive all season. Uh, Utah is calculated, and so Oregon, if they want to stay in the hunt for the Pac-12, they're going to have to win this football game. This is a big weekend in the Pac-12 with USC, UCLA, and Oregon, Utah. Those are the top four teams in the in the league. This is pressure time, and you're going to see a lot of upset losses. So I want to get your take uh, on rapid fire fashion here on some possible upsets with teams that are still involved in the CFP, have an outside chance, or are squarely in it. Uh, first of all. Is there anything dangerous about Miami against Clemson? No, there's nothing dangerous about Miami at all, man. They're it's really they're like a shell of a football team right now, like a husk. Watching them play <laughs> is brutal. Maryland against Ohio State. Uh, Maryland's going to try to get back on track. I think they're going to try to stretch you defensively. I think when you play defense the way that Ohio State does, you're good, you're bound to give up big plays. We saw it in the Penn State game. Uh, but Maryland, yeah, I think they started off hot and they've really, really cooled off. It's like somebody put them in a in an ice bath right now. Kentucky against Georgia. I don't think Kentucky against Georgia reminds me a lot of when Brett Bielema was at Arkansas and they played Alabama. And in theory, yes, you can have a good football team, but you're not going to out Georgia, Georgia, right? You're not going to out punch them. You're not going to out muscle them. It's the same thing with Arkansas trying to out muscle Alabama and be a power run team. So I think that, I think, I think this is the game that Georgia wants to play. The Tennessee game they had to play. This is the game they want to play because it's a team that they're not worried about stretching them over the top. They're not worried about them being, you know, ac an accurate passer. And so you get a team that's going to try to run on you. And guess what? They got a bunch of strong guys in the box. They're going to, I think this game might get ugly for Kentucky. Michael Felder's got four hard downs. It's a bulletin via Facebook. You want to sign up for that. Great weekly notes, a couple of stories up each week. So sign up for that with Michael Felder, who's on Cofield and company. I think this is a dangerous spot just because it's a sandwich spot. You could get caught. UAB, can they threaten LSU? Uh, I feel like if this was the UAB team from two years ago, the answer would be yes. But now I think LSU, this is a team that I, I don't think UAB is as good, but I also think LSU's kind of bought in. We're seeing them buy into what, what Brian Kelly's selling. I don't know that they would have won that Arkansas game a week ago, uh, that, or last week, um, a season ago, excuse me. I don't think last year they don't win that Arkansas game. And they don't also, they also don't mount these comebacks that they've been able to put together. Their halftime adjustments have been remarkable, and they keep finding ways to, 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 to get to put wins together. So I don't think UAB is going to beat them. I don't think UAB is going to threaten them, but I am excited to watch because I want to see what Brian Kelly's doing, the little kind of the, the, the machinations of how he's putting together a team that ultimately is going to play for an SEC championship. Can Illinois play grinder game against Michigan, keep it close, and potentially pull the upset? Oh, I, man. I don't know what this game is going to look like. Chase Brown is getting healthy, which is good. Obviously, we've got Blake Corum, two 
two of the premier running backs in that conference. The big thing for me is going to be, can Illinois move the foot? If they can't advance the football on the ground, then they don't have anything. If they don't have anything, they may they, the, the dam may break, you know, as we get to the 35-minute mark, the start of the third quarter, the dam may break for them defensively. Michael Felder's with us on Cofield and company. And then the big game around the country, and especially uh, here in the Pacific time zone, USC, UCLA, lose a little bit of luster because uh, UCLA got upset by Arizona. USC on the road, not a big road trip, but two and a half. What happens here? we got to see Caleb Williams. I think this is – one, who gets stops? I think the team that gets stops is going to be the team that wins. And it's not because just the quote-unquote getting stops. It's that neither one of these defenses has been impressive lately. USC hasn't been that – like you look at USC, you take away those two games where they have four turnovers in, in both games, and they're just okay at getting turnovers. They're not really good at it. They just have it stacked where they have such an advantage because they got eight turnovers in two games that it looks like they're good. That's why they rank it so high in turnovers. But look at the last few games. They haven't been getting turnovers like that. Um, and they've, they've also turned the ball over. Uh, on the other side, and, and so when I think about that with USC's defense, and then you throw in Zach Charbonnet, you throw him into the pot, whew, he's tough to tackle. He does not want to be tackled, and they block really, really well up front. And then you flip it over, and Caleb Williams is starting to come on strong. Him and Lincoln Riley are really – they're kind of a hive mind at this point working together. And – you see, UCLA, they've stumbled defensively lately. And so how do you stop, whether it's Jordan Addison? And I, I know I don't expect that Mario Williams is going to play, but how do you stop these these weapons that they have? I know Dye's also not going to play for them, so that's another hole that you've got to fill. But they've got weapons for days, and they've got a way to kind of push the ball around and spread it around. Oh, and by the way, Caleb Williams can do it by himself too. We saw last night Central Michigan, Western Michigan, just a ridiculous snowstorm. Um, I know you love snowy football weather, don't you? <laughs> it makes everything harder. It's not football weather. Here's the thing, and I'll tell you this. We're, we talked about this on Field of 12 last night. It was myself, Trevor Knight, Jake Butt. Jake Butt played at Michigan, and we all agreed the best football weather is probably somewhere between 55 and 65 where you're not too hot in your pads, not too cold, and you can go out and you can execute your entire playbook. But brought up a really great point. He said, also, you can keep the win. You can keep the win. Keep the win. I don't need it because as a pass catcher, it changes everything for me. And Trevor Knight agreed. He goes, hey, man, I don't want to throw in the win. If I'm playing my best football, it's going to be in that temperature range. No win. Sure, it looks good on TV to see all that snow. I, even going back to last weekend, right, Ohio State watching the snow there. Or whatever that whatever Arkansas did with their glass field, essentially. But in, when you're playing in it, it's not fun. It is not fun at all. Hey, last one. Are we going to have a Heisman vote split that's going to screw over C.J. Stroud with uh, Marvin Harrison? I'm very curious about that because, without a doubt, Marvin Harrison has been the best player on that football team. But we know it's a quarterback award. So I want to see how voters respond to this uh, with the idea that Hey, he's the, we all, everybody agrees. Marvin Harrison has bailed them out of spots. He's made some amazing catches. He's done some amazing things. He's been their best player on that team. Uh, Stroud's been arguably the best quarterback in the country, him, Hooker, and, and, and Bryce Young. But if people realize that Marvin Harrison Jr. has been really good, maybe they split that vote. I'm very curious to see what that looks like uh, because, whoo, buddy. And, and the same thing for Tennessee as well. Jalen Hyatt's been, amazing, been remarkable for them. And then you throw in Hendon Hooker. So 
we'll see how much of a quarterback award this is and how much it is about being the most outstanding player. All right, Felder, have a good weekend. Enjoy the football. We'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good, man. You take it easy. Michael Felder at In the Bleachers on Twitter, part of the Learfield podcast family, and now doing the college football video podcast called Field of 12. Giveaway time. Ari's got tickets for Pink 2023 show. Tickets go on sale this Monday, 10 a.m., Ticketmaster.com. Pink is in town at the Al. Get your tickets right now from Ari. Call her 7364-1100-364-1100. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Pressuring LaMelo, trying to get it out of his hands. He keeps the dribble, fires for three. Yes! Oh, wow. LaMelo, another shot off the dribble behind the arc, going to his left. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. My guy, LaMelo. All right, what the hell happened? Do I have to go beat someone up? Well, I think so. So the uh, I can't, but you know, I'd like to. I'm surprised nobody watched the thrilling Pacers Hornets game last night. I know you're all over um, these games. That's why we love having you on for NBA talk. Well, actually, it is a fun game because neither yeah. team really plays defense. They they got a bunch of young guards that are kind of fun to get up and down the floor. Um, so it was a fun basketball game. But 90 seconds left in the game, Lamelo goes to save a ball out of bounds, and he steps on a fan's foot who's sitting courtside. And twists his ankle pretty hard. And here's the thing. It's the ankle that kept him out of, you know, competition oh until about two or three games ago. And he immediately reacted. Like, he was in a lot of pain, went limping off, didn't look very happy. I, I think I've brought this up to you before. This has been my hot take when it comes to basketball. Why are people allowed to sit so close to the court? Not, like, only, not only sit close, but then, like, it was a joke on Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David had his legs out. Put your G damn legs in. Well, like, what is this like stretching out near the court? Well, to be fair, this, this time instance, they weren't stretched no, out. No, they okay. weren't stretched out. Because right. you a saw man. a referee went down. Of course, backing up. I mean, that's a dangerous spot. These refs are running up and down the floor. They can't be freaking monitoring who's on the sidelines. Some idiot's got his legs out. Or like you know, a thousand times a season where somebody drops their drinks right there uh. on the sideline, and they have to clean it up and spend time doing it. I'm just, I'm amazed. And who knows? Look, this is my, maybe this is the start of it. But if a young star like this suffers a serious ankle injury or, you know, makes it worse because he was on the mend with one. Maybe this is the start of them changing some things, although it's a big moneymaker. I get it, courtside tickets. So, But I'm just – I am always amazed that this is allowed, that they are on top of these guys. And that, that goes for college too. Like when I sit there on the sidelines, when I'm working sidelines for basketball, there's no these room, last two. There's no room at the Thomas and Matt. It's nuts. And, and that's yeah. the other thing too. So like Harkless, for example, Elijah Harkless in the first game, so he's got all those cramps that he's dealing with, right? And he lays down. Uh, he's like a foot within me. I'm sitting there watching Harkless, like, grimace in pain while they're working on his calf. And we're, like, making eye contact. I'm like, how is this happening right here? Why am I so close to this yeah. man? And I was in a regular seat. I mean, it's a great fan experience, but it's dangerous for the players. Of course. And this is, another, this is an example of a guy getting hurt because of it. Glad you mentioned the younger guys over on the Pacers. I'm not saying people bash this last draft, but I do remember people saying, hey, there's not, like, the unbelievable star. Was the best pick in the draft the number six pick? Benedict Matherin. My God. He's awesome. He's, he's a six-man-of-the-year candidate. We're only, like, 12 games in. 
He could win sixth man of the year. He's freaking great. And you know what's funny? So I, is he just a volume guy, or is he actually shooting? Because he's averaging 20 points a game. That's a kid out of Arizona. He's shooting 46%, no, he, yeah, 45 say, from three. Yep, no, he's he's, a, he's efficiency, man. And here's the thing. Man. like I remember, for those who never really watched him at Arizona, one of the things when I was doing like draft prep was what, what stuck out about him, what I liked the most, and I know you like these hardcore things, his shot. His shot release is so high as a jump shooter, and he's got the physical body to be like a really good defender in the NBA. I love this kid. Like, he's so fun to watch. He was great. I got to watch him up close to Summer League when they were out here, when we yeah. got to go down there for a while, too. When, I, when we came out of the Summer League, there were three guys that I discussed in terms of being, like, the rookie of the year candidates. The obvious was Ben Caro. It was Keegan Murray, who hasn't really been that impactful. And it was Matherin. Matherin looked comfortable the second he hit the floor out there at the Thomas and Mack Center in the Cox Pavilion, and he has looked comfortable the second he's been out there. And he benefits, too, because one of the other cool stories about the Pacers, because they have won seven games already, Tyrese Halliburton got traded them last year, former King. He's the league leader in assists right now. They have a, such a good young backcourt. And Chris Duarte's been hurt, too. Like, and he plays with Rick Carlisle, right, his head coach. Like, it's, a, it's a really good environment to be in for him as a backcourt player. But he's been freaking awesome. Are you saying Sacramento made a big mistake? They're seven and six. They hung one fifty three the other night up on the board. No, I don't think they're. I don't think it's a mistake. It just depends on what your goal is, right? Sacramento's goal is to just to make it to the playoffs. So if that's their goal, they didn't really make a mistake. But if your goal is to you know build the proper way, I put in air quotes on young cornerstone pieces that are going to be with the franchise for a while, I think it was kind of a mistake to get rid of Halliburton. But the Pacers, man, they picked up him. They've got Matherin. They've got some really good building blocks to kind of move on here as they go forward in the next Wait, four or five years. All these teams are going to tank. What the hell are you doing? It's yeah. kind of the theme of the season. A lot of teams are a lot better than they were expected to be. Utah, Indiana, Oklahoma City. Blazers? Yep, the Blazers. And, like, the Blazers are a team that still could. Obviously, any of these teams really could. But, uh, like, that's been the cool and weird part about this season so far is when you look, especially in the West, the Portland is the one seed. The Warriors are the 12 seed. <laughs> You know, like things like that. It has been completely topsy-turvy at this point. But I think this is, so you know me, I've always been, I guess, the defender of the NBA. If you don't really watch, you'll make the comment that the league is watered down, which is a dumb comment to make. These teams that are young and at the bottom of the standings have so much talent. And these kids are so young. And they are so fun to watch. It's better than it's ever been. Yep. It's international. We're now pulling from a bigger pool. Chet Holmgren, who is a unicorn at 7-1 as a small forward, is, before he gets to play, is going to be overtaken by a 7-4 guy with the same skill set. Right. We were just talking to your guy, Ben Wilson, the other day, the play-by-play voice of the Ignite, and we were talking a little more about Webb and Yama, and I was kind of building the case like I did back in the 2019 draft when Adam Hill and I were saying, mm, you know what, Zion Williamson maybe shouldn't be the first pick in the draft because he's you know 350 pounds, He's 270 when he's in shape, but is he going to be durable? You know, there's another guy in the draft who might be freaking awesome. I was trying to build the case for Scoot over Webanyama, and a lot of it was he's 7'4". Like, what's his position, and will he stay healthy? Yeah, I, I would argue very much that I think Webanyama's skill set is different from Holmgren. I think they're going to make Holmgren a center. So and- Holmgren really is is more of a true big, even though he weighs 150 pounds. From a defensive standpoint, his length makes him a pretty good rim protector, yeah. right? And I think that's what they're going to try to do. I mean, you look at the, the roster that Oklahoma has right now, Oklahoma City, like they're super small right now because one of the reasons was they expected Chet Holmgren to be their center. But I think if you watch Victor Wimanyama, Victor he, I think he's a 7'4 small forward. 
It's incredible. I think he is seven four small forward. He looks like his skill set is incredible. Yeah. The way he can, he, the way he can handle, the way he shoots, catch and shoot, pull up. Oh, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be a great small forward. Ralph Sampson mixed because of the height with Dirk. I like. I don't know. I mean, can you imagine two trying to contest that jump shot? Like anybody, it's on the it's perimeter smooth, too. Yeah. It's it's super smooth. It's he's going to be a. I think he's going to be small forward. Whoever gets him is going to try that. So, G League, you know, developmental league, uh, something that is needed for the NFL. The XFL is coming. There really does need to be a sturdy league financially where guys get to play football and eventually live out their dreams potentially to get to the National Football League. We've got the XFL starting up in the new year. We've got the Vipers here in town. Rod Woodson is the coach. They've got their quarterbacks in place. We're going to talk to one of them, Luis Perez, on the way back. Join Cofield and Company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. It's not what we would have preferred to be in this position, but we're having high-level conversations with multiple venues, and we're doing our best. Because really, at the end of the day, the most important thing here is to deliver for the fans. And you got a lot of great Vegas fans here who are hungry for football, as we know, uh, with the Raiders and certainly with the XFL. So fingers crossed, we're going to land our team in a great venue. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. There he is, The Rock, the owner, the boss of the XFL, talking about the need for a home field. So we'll explain that a little more. Right now, the Vegas Vipers do not have a home field. They're going to pick one relatively soon. Going to have to be creative in terms of options. Allegiant is not available. Sam Boyd, I don't believe, is available. Uh, They picked the quarterbacks the other day. They're doing a draft, but they selected the quarterbacks and put them on teams. And Luis Perez is one of the quarterbacks for our Vegas Vipers. I caught up with... Luis, he's got a great story. I mean, a tremendous story. This is a guy who didn't play quarterback in high school. Now he's going to be the the head of uh, a franchise in the XFL. He's got a lot of experience since as a quarterback. Started off the conversation with the obvious. Luis, are you a Vegas guy? Yeah, I actually came not so long ago. A few months ago, I came out here and spent some time here. So, yeah, no, it's always fun here. All right, what did you do when you came here? Uh, I'm a big pool guy. I go to the pool, went to go see a magic show, uh, I'm big of a show guy, and I love getting in the pool, different pools. Nice, nice. What's your favorite pool? Um, I would say, you know which one's nice? The Mandalay Bay one's obviously a nice one. Excalibur's nice. Um, and then I went to one that's like on a top tower. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. But it's like at the very top. You got to pay a ticket to get in and get all the way to the top. All right. You got a bunch of screen TVs and stuff. Nice, nice. All yeah. right. So you're down with Vegas, and you know here – you know, of all the XFL teams, we're probably going to do it the biggest and the best because uh, entertainment value here is uh, is pretty crazy. So let's let's talk football. Do you know any of the coaches on this Viper staff? Uh, so I, Coach Woodson, I know him a little bit. Um, our offensive coordinator, um, and then I know Joey pretty well because Joey he's not he's not a coach, but he's a player personnel guy. Who he drafted me in the original XFL in 2020 with the with the Wildcats. All right, let's talk XFL. Why are you excited to play in this league? The biggest thing is another opportunity, right? I think my journey has always been, hey, I need to always play, right? As a quarterback, you can't really emulate pocket presence, reading defenses, you know, calling plays. You can't really emulate that besides playing. So I think the biggest thing that I've done, uh, it's done justice, is just playing every single year after college. So, again, it's another opportunity. I'm just excited to be here. So I mentioned uh, that you're a Southern California guy. We talked about, you know, Vegas. I'm more of a Vegas guy now. I'm from the Northeast, but I've become a Vegas guy over the last 25 years. Um, I'm also a Chula Vista guy. 
I, I like I like Chula Vista. So <laughs> let's talk about your background a little bit. You know, San Diego area town. Tell people in Vegas who haven't been to Chula Vista what it's like. Chula Vista is beautiful. You get 70 degree weather all year round. It's beautiful. You're about 20 minutes from the beach. No, it's awesome. Uh, amazing Mexican food. What's your favorite Mexican restaurant in Chula Vista? Oof, that's tough. That's tough. There's so many. Besides home cooked, it's going to have to be probably like Lolita's Taco Shop. Those hole in the hole ones are good. Your story's kind of crazy. You go back to Chula Vista, and you didn't play quarterback in high school, or you played very little quarterback in high school. What was going on? Yeah, so um, I went in my freshman year. I played fo- I played quarterback in eighth grade for my uh, middle school team. So I went my freshman year, and I tried out. And, you know, I thought I was getting ready to play quarterback. And they, you know, coaches bring me in the offense and say, hey, you know what, we're going to put you at tight end receiver. I'm like, okay, cool, you know, whatever's best for the team. And turns out we're running a wing T offense where I'm blocking 95% of the time and then running a couple deep routes. And I'm like, ah, uh, you know, it's not as, as fun as I would have thought, right? And then bowling started, you know, I don't know if you know my bowling background, but I started bowling really well. And it was kind of one of those things where I had to decide, you know what, am I going to bowl or am I going to play football? And in the moment, I ended up choosing bowling. Luis Perez is with us. Wait, bowling? You must have been an unreal bowler. How good were you? Uh, not bad, not bad. I carried around a 230 average. Oh, what? Not bad? <laughs> really? Not bad. So high, how high a level did you reach in bowling, and uh, could you have gone professional in bowling? Uh, I think I could have. Yeah, I was getting close. Um, I definitely could have, but I ended up making the transition back to, you know what, I can play football because you could bowl when you're 50, 60 years old, right? You have such a small window to pursue a dream playing football, right? It's so physical. You're, you know, quarterbacks, I mean, Tom Brady, right? He's a he's an individual that, you know, 45 years old, right, playing ball. But usually, you know, you're done late 30s, and I can jump right into bowling right after that. All right, you got to tell me how you don't play quarterback in high school. You don't play football for the latter part of your career in high school. How the heck do you get on a college roster as a quarterback? You walk on, and you beg the coach for an opportunity, and you prove to them that you've been working really hard, and you're, and you're ready for this opportunity. That's what I did. I uh, went to the junior college, local Southwestern College right there in Chula Vista, um, right down the street from my house. And I ended up saying, hey, you know what? Give me an opportunity to play. And he said, well, where would you play high school? Like, where's your tape? I said, well, hey, coach, I actually didn't play football. You know, And he looks at me kind of funny, like, well, you want to play quarterback? And uh, so I ended up being ninth on the depth chart um, and just slowly worked my way up. Slowly, just first one there, last one to leave. Kept working on my game outside of practice and you know, slowly but surely, guys started kind of dropping out. Some guys got hurt. Some guys transferred. Some guys ended up switching positions. I remember one guy ended up saying, you know what, I'm just going to play baseball. Huh. And then now I'm number four, right? Now I'm fourth string. And then that's kind of how it started. Uh, Luis Perez is with us. He's the quarterback, one of the quarterbacks for the Vegas Vipers in the XFL. They're going to start playing in 2023, but putting together the team right now. So you're in junior college. I saw your numbers were pretty good. I think uh, your final year, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions. Then what happens? Do you have – you know, any local D1 schools come after you, San Diego State look at you, because then you wind up landing at Texas A&M Commerce. Um, what was that process of trying to get to the next level? Yeah, it was tough. You know, with only playing really one year of football, it was hard to get, you know, Division ones to come after me. Um, I went to a bunch of different, you know, Division One schools that were local, and I, dro- I remember I driving to Fresno State, San Diego State, you know, driving, and hey, you know, back then there were these huddle discs, and I would <laughs> drive, make a bunch of copies and just mail them to them, but a couple of local ones, I remember I, I went and I gave them my tape and a couple of them didn't even give me the time of day, you know, and wow. just said, hey, man, you got to go. But, um, yeah, it ended up working out really well. Um, so I appreciate it. You know, I'm very appreciative of, you know, Commerce, all the coaching staff there, Coach Carthel and Coach Stone, Coach May, all these guys that, you know, really just believed in me. Luis, you're 28 now? 28, just okay. 28. And you said you've played 
football every year since. So take us through your journey. Where have you played professional football since college? So my draft class was 2018. So I signed with the LA Rams, was there on practice squad for a few weeks, got released. And then I played for the AAF, um, Alliance of American Football. I was with the Birmingham Iron. After that, after that league folded, I transferred over to the Philadelphia Eagles, played there. Then from there, I went to the Detroit Lions, was there. Then played in the XFL, where I was with the LA Wildcats in 2020. Got traded a week before the first game to the New York Guardians, played with, for the New York Guardians. From there, I played in this thing called the Spring League, played in that for the Texas Jousters. Um, after that, I played in the USFL of this year, 2022, and then got signed by the LA Rams again this year. Wow, that's incredible. Now I'm here. Yeah. What are you doing for money during all this time? Like, are you what job are you working? Jobs are you working? What are you doing? You know, I've just been living off the money I've made. If I'm really? being quite honest. I've just been doing that. Yeah, and just because I think, in my opinion, if if you're going to get another job, you can't really focus on your craft how you should, right? So I think, and I've been fortunate enough to have the money that you know saved up to be able to just do that and not be able to get a second job. Um, that's really been helping me because, again, like I said, I think it's really hard to be all into something when you're doing something else. It's Cofield and Company. We're talking to one of the new quarterbacks for our XFL team, the Vegas Vipers. Luis Perez is on the horn with us. All right, so you're the perfect guy to talk to. How important is this league for guys like you? You know, a league just below the NFL that's going to survive. That's the other thing because, you know, no you're, not, you're not bouncing around voluntarily. A lot of it's because the leagues don't survive. How important is this league for guys like you? Very important. There's a lot of guys on the street that are very good football players that just haven't gotten an opportunity. And this league is going to provide that. It's going to provide guys with the opportunity to go out there and showcase what they do. I know a lot of guys that are training their butts off 24-7 all day, you know, from begging for an opportunity. So I'm hoping all those guys that are doing that get the opportunity. Well, congrats on this. We're glad to have you in Vegas, and uh, let's talk to you once the roster comes together. Appreciate the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. There he is, one of the new quarterbacks for the XFL Vipers, Luis Perez. Quite a story. Didn't play high school football really after a couple of years because he wasn't playing quarterback, got frustrated. Walks on at a JUCO. He's ninth string at the JUCO in Chula Vista. Eventually makes his way to Texas A&M Commerce. Then has been bouncing around all these. I mean, when he listed all those leagues, because there are so many pro football leagues, you know, are, are one and done, two and done. I think this XFL is going to be financially solid. So good luck to this kid. And what a, he's 28, by the way. Um, great story that he's an unbelievable bowler. And that's why he was like in high school. I'm like, yeah, just, I'll bowl because I'm awesome at it. I wonder... We'll have to do some research on this because this is a pro bowling show. I wonder if he is the best professional athlete who's not a bo- like professional bowler as a bowler. Because I know Mookie Betts is really good. Like, he's bowled a couple of 300 games. Yeah. But, I mean, if Luis is correct there that he was carrying, like, a 230 average, holy crap. I want to say Chris Paul's a pretty good bowler, too, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, this this guy's he's pretty good. So here's, where, here's an idea. Let, can we team up with him and do, like, a, a bowling party? You just want to bring them along to whatever the Orleans, Red, Red Rock, Rock something, yeah. just kind of sandbag people, like neon bowling. Yeah. Like you, you go out there, you you throw your seventy pace, and we're like, yeah, you know what? We'll come out, we'll bowl with them. Let's go three on three, three on three bowling. Let's All do right. it. Let's do it. Wonder if he's had a really good moment. The uh, what's our famous? What's the famous bowling moment? Who do you think you are? I am. Kingpin. Yeah. No, you don't oh. remember the. This? No, I don't remember that. Oh, I'll show it you in the break. Okay. It's one of the best bowling moments right. in PBA history. I'd like to say I could be competitive. I can't bowl a, a 230. Um, I don't know if I mentally have it anymore to have a decent average in bowling. It's a very stressful sport, and I'm a very fragile man now. Very I, fragile. I get bored. Um, I just have to drink to numb it, to not worry, to not be freaking out. Very stressful life I live. Very stressful.